0: Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show.
1: You're listening to the highly informing, overperforming radio show on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm George Ackla, joined alongside, as always, Patrick Scott to the left of me. We said last week that Ian Schlegel was a special guest, and I got to admit, that was a little bit of a lie because we brought him back this week as we talk about FTX, a little more crypto. Ian, we are very excited to have you back on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: We have a lot to cram into this episode. We have two somewhat, we got one historical story, one more recent event but there was a very big event that happened today. We're recording Thursday, April 20th, and Tesla stock fell nearly 10% today. And I know what a lot of people think that's from. SpaceX also had a launch today, but actually that had nothing to do with Tesla stock price. SpaceX and Tesla are independent besides Elon Musk being a major holder of both of those companies. The biggest factor for Tesla's drop is they had an earnings call after hours on the 19th, and they revealed to their shareholders that they weren't lowering prices to gain market share, like many people thought on the Model 3s. It's because there has been a weaker demand environment with this little recession that we've had. They've actually been forced to lower prices And because of that, Tesla stock fell nearly 10% today. As promised, we got a historical story today. And Patrick Scott is going to be talking about the most historical story we've ever had. In fact, something that happened over 300 years ago, actually close to 400 years ago. It's interesting because I think we think that the modern investor is maybe more stupid or like more irrational than they were in the past. They were smarter in the past. Uh, But Dutch and the tulips show otherwise. So... Patrick, I'm really confused. I haven't looked into this. What are you telling us?
0: Yep, we're going to take it way back for this one. So tulips are a big product in the Netherlands. Over 7 million tulip bulbs are grown each year. Um, and this, <clears throat> when I was researching this, it made me think of the one scene in the Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, where he's like in the Netherlands or whatever, and then he's got like his Netherlands jersey on, and then he, the, the plane is like in the field of tulips, you know? Yeah, so Netherlands yeah. and tulips. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I think you're speaking to a crowd of not big Spider-Man enthusiasts.
0: Anyways, um, they arrived in the Netherlands in the 1600s and became quite popular. They were a luxury item. Uh, pe- rich people had tulips. So naturally, there was some common desire to own tulips, and everyone you know, wants to either be rich or look rich. So in order to emulate their wealthier neighbors, people would buy tulips. So now even people on the poorer side of the spectrum are buying tulips. And around 1634, these flowers are reaching a a price high. A single bulb could fetch up to um, 5,500 florins, uh, which is the Dutch um, golden currency. And at the time, 65 kegs of beer, about 1,000 gallons, cost 32 florins. And the florins' worth remains a little uncertain. But with this information, a single florin might be worth $250 today. So that means that the most rare tulip could cost $1,375,000 today.
1: That's insane. Like, I mean, when you think about Rolexes, which are probably the status symbol today, those are, you know, 25 grand or, you know, the most expensive going up into the hundred thousands. Yeah. That's insane.
0: Kind of forebodes um, bad things. But the tulip business became so big that uh, regular tulip marts were placed on major Dutch stock exchanges. So investors began to invest in tulips. Um, believing the price of tulips would only continue to rise. Um, however, many people uh, bought their tulips on credit since they were just so expensive. They figured they would be able to pay off the loan without any earnings, earnings made. And tulip prices were artificially high, um, and so they began to naturally drop. Holders had um, to sell to cut their losses, and this caused the value of the tulips to plummet. And that left with um, the holders with no money and just a lot of debt. And so this episode of investment history, um, I know it was quick, uh, but I know we want to be able to get into the FTX and the crypto stuff and all of that while we have our guest. Um, But this episode is the root of the term tulip mania, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, I did not before I looked up this episode. Uh, So tulip mania is the term used when investors realize that the disparity between a product or company's price and its intrinsic value. So George or Ian, what do you think could have prevented this tulip bubble? And what do you think can prevent this tulip mania or irrational exuberance for just some random, maybe lower-end product today?
1: I'll go first. I think that it's hard because so much of what we invest in or buy today, it seems like doesn't have a ton of intrinsic value. You especially think the biggest companies on the S&P 500 are Microsoft, Apple, you know, big tech companies that really don't, yeah, they have data, they have software, but to, trying to explain that to someone even a couple decades ago, it would seem just very odd that we would be spending a lot of money on this sort of thing. And I'm sure to
2: us now, tulips seem foolish, but when you were in that time, that seemed to make a lot of sense. For me personally, I'd just say if uh, you're going to be buying a luxury good, probably don't finance uh, in order to attain that. And just make sure that you actually have the disposable capital in order to afford it. So
0: Yeah. Well, the thing that kind of confuses me is that with George, with your example, you're talking about um, lower... And commodities and such, but you're talking about those companies. This wasn't even like a single tulip company. This wasn't Tulips Incorporated. This was just l- literal tulips. Like, are you gonna buy a tulip and it's just and expect it to rise like hundreds of florins in value? It's it's just kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, I would think that a lot of people today would actually consider cryptocurrency the modern <laughs> tulip, which I think is a great transition. I know Ian might have something to say about that. Shots fired. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> so. We're going to be talking about FTX. It's something that we've mentioned, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, and uh, we wanted to do this episode for a while. First off, I just want to get your opinion, Ian. What was the draw initially
2: to FTX? Starting off, there is kind of um, a sheep mentality sometimes when it comes to investing. We see that with GameStop and other things. And so when you've got FTX coming in hot and they come out of nowhere and just burst onto the scene, a lot of people like that. Um, and then on top of that, I think, and alongside it as well, you have a lot of the celebrity endorsements that um, make it seem like it's the cool, hip thing to do. Uh, but to be honest, I I have no idea why uh, they, they rose so fast.
1: Even as a crypto guy, you're saying that there wasn't really a linear reason why FTX
2: had the position it did. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, obviously, FTX had a solid business model in being a centralized exchange. But if you look at like, their model versus that of Coinbase. It's like pretty similar, you know, and they might have had some advantages to Coinbase in the international community, but when you look at that it's a little bit curious to be like why were they valued so much higher? Why did they get so much more popular when they really were doing the same thing?
1: All right, and I'm going to, you know, talk a little bit about the celebrity endorsements cuz you brought it up. FTX was in a lot of people's minds like the crypto place even though I think it was the number 3 a biggest broker, but they were hip. They had a lot of celebrity sponsorships, the Miami Heat Arena in Miami, that was FTX Arena. They had an spo- exclusive sponsorship with the MLB. And according to a Super Bowl ad, they were, quote, the safe and easy way to get into crypto. As, as a little tangent, many celebrities now are getting criticized for sponsoring these cryptocurrencies. And mind you, they're getting paid in cash for these endorsements, U.S. dollars, <laughs> to sponsor a cryptocurrency, which, which is a little odd. Kim Kardashian actually was forced to pay over a million dollars for her involvement with Ethereum Max. But other celebrities who are currently working through a class action lawsuit through FTX was Tom Brady, Larry David, Shaquille O'Neal, Steph Curry, Naomi Osaka, and lawsuits assert that these people didn't at least disclose their incentives or their pay structures or that they were getting paid in U.S. dollars. So there's a few arguments for this. On one hand, whether or not these celebrities are compensated. I think investors have a responsibility to make financial decisions based on the actual product, not celebrities. It shouldn't matter. I don't know if celebrities should be penalized. But on the other hand, if we don't force at least some responsibility for the companies that you pick to sponsor, I think that's a really bad uh, standard to be setting going forward. That if a company pays me 2 million dollars, I don't care how good it is. I'm going to sponsor or I'm going to push it out to my fans. The argument is that these celebrities, oh, it's going to hurt their reputation, their their brands that are so important are going to get hit. We actually haven't seen that except for one celebrity. Any guesses who that is? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. So Matt Damon's credibility has been slammed due to his appearances on commercials. Get this, not even for FTX. For Crypto.com, an exchange that still exists today. However, the token that it issued, I believe it's CRO, has actually lost 90% since his endorsement. His big thing on his commercial was there was a big Super Bowl commercial about fortune favors the bold, like basically your grandparents. Brave. Fortune favors the brave. Yeah, your grandparents had chances to be like the next great thing, but they didn't basically playing off of people's FOMO fear of missing out. Even more interesting to this story is it wasn't CNN, Fox News, any of these big news organizations that came down hard on, on Matt Damon. It was actually South Park. So we're going to listen to a quick clip from that and, and get Ian's reaction.
0: What does Matt Damon say on that Bitcoin commercial? Fortune favors the brave. My dad said he listened to Matt Damon and lost all his money. Yes, everyone did, but they were brave in doing so.
2: What do you think, Ian? Um, Yeah, no, it's a... It's, uh... It's a nice uh, nice bit there from South Park. I, I think it's true, right? I, I guess I kind of feel bad for Matt Damon. You know, he's just profit maximizing. He's being a rational actor, and people don't like that. But I do think it is kind of a, an interesting part of American culture how much celebrity endorsements do affect people's actions. And so I don't think it's wise that you should see that commercial and be like, wow, I'm going to invest in cryptocurrency. I will say when I saw that, that commercial, I actually, I thought it was a pretty sweet commercial. I just thought it was really well done. And so
1: And FOMO is obviously a very strong factor. But let's get back to the heavily mainstream FTX. I know we've gone on a couple tangents, but how did this start? So Sam Bankman-Fried basically went to MIT, made a lot of money quant trading, which is programming algorithms to trade, and he made a lot of money doing that. I was going to go more into the specifics, but for the sake of time, we'll just kind of leave that where it is. In 2019, FTX was founded and quickly grew market share. Within three years, by 2022, it was one of the largest crypto brokers in the nation. And we want to keep brokers separate from other things a cryptocurrency company does. If you buy the crypto there, it's not like... It's not like they would necessarily have to have the crypto, correct?
2: Yeah, no, that's right. When you're buying on an exchange like FTX, as long as you, you know, leave it in your quote unquote account on FTX, FTX is really the, the holder of that token. You have no real wallet holding that token. And so if the company goes under, you know, you're not actually safe with your own currency, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's a few things I want to also point out about FTX's demise. I think we know the basic story. So I'm, I'm going to try to stray a little away from that. But months before FTX's demise, they were aggressively making offers for BlockFi, Voyager, which are two crypto uh, brokerage firms as well. The craziest one is Bankman fried offered Elon Musk $5 billion for a stake in Twitter in April of 2022, which I, I think is wild. Either he didn't know the financial situation that FTX was in or, I mean, everything was going well in that industry that... Maybe he didn't need to. He just kind of assumed that FTT, his issued coin, would go up forever. In addition, their CEO of U.S. Operations got in trouble from the FDIC. He tweeted out that cash associated with brokerage accounts is FDIC insured. And from what I understand, he was saying that when you make a transfer to FTX, there's a few-day holding period. There's a period when your money isn't at FTX and it's not in your bank account it's somewhere else. And that those bank accounts are FDIC insured. However, the second that it goes into FTX,
2: it's not FDIC insured. Now, to be fair, given the banking crisis we've just had, maybe it was FDIC insured and we just didn't know it at the time. But yeah. it seems like everything is at the moment in our economy. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> And 2.5 months before the bank failure, the CEO, Harrison, resigned as CEO of FTX's U.S. operations. And he tried to distance himself from Bankman Freed. And apparently it worked because in January of this year, he actually started his own crypto trading platform, a, a brokerage firm that pretty much follows the same model of FTX. He was apparently not involved in any of this. I don't know. I, I find it kind of hard to believe that a few months before everything goes under, you had no idea what was going on. But that's just me.
2: Yeah, and, and one note there is that the, the U.S. branch of FTX was distinct from the rest because of our um, specific like investing um, rules and regulations. FTX U.S. was separate from their multinational corporation. And so everybody who was investing in FTX U.S. Um, actually got all of their funds back. Okay. So they have a completely separate kind of like uh company i guess in a sense and so i think the u.s arm did get bought out by another exchange and so uh, that's why ftx collapse really wasn't that big of a deal in the u.s because no one really in the u.s actually lost their money because if you're investing in ftx in the u.s you're using their u.s arm. Uh, which is separate. So
1: Okay, that's actually really interesting because I feel like the media kind of portrayed it as everyone was destitute in the U.S. who lost their money and trying to, rightfully so, make Bankman free to be this awful guy, which he is, but at the same time, you're saying that for most investors in the U.S., they were actually
2: Okay. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think a lot of just the fallout from FTX is what really affected the U.S. people just with cryptocurrency prices absolutely collapsing and uh, a lot of other things like Silvergate and obviously a lot of contagion there. So uh, I think that was more of maybe the the criticism on that end. Gotcha.
1: Now, I might need your help to kind of explain the collaboration here, but Alameda Research was also trading assets on FTX, which is a big red flag because based on some of the trades they were doing they could actually gain money if FTX was losing money or if FTX depositors were losing money. And Bingman Fried owned a 90% stake in Alameda Research at least a year before its collapse. So there's a conflict of interest there that, I mean, should have been caught. And as you said, maybe if it was not a multinational corporation, it would have been caught. Who knows? I mean, it's pretty... Cryptocurrency still is pretty unregulated in the United States. But it gets worse. As Alameda Research was struggling, $10 billion was transferred, some of it being depositors' funds, from FTX to Alameda Research. And what did they do with that money? They spent a majority of it on FTT coin, which I can't even like wrap my head around how interconnected that is. And they've put themselves so much at the mercy of FTT that if it goes up, Bankman fried is going to be richer than his wildest dreams. He already is, but it's, it's going to be huge returns. But if it goes down like we know it did, you know, it's basically a collapse.
2: Yeah. I mean, in essence, what the equivalent for like, a, a, you know, a, a publicly traded company is if they issued equity and then took the funds they got from that equity and just bought their own stock. And so you're leveraging yourself and you make yourself look really good. And then when things go bad, then you have just no funds on your balance sheet. So. Yeah.
1: I think maybe part of the reason it's unclear for us is it just seems obvious that's not what you
2: do, but it worked at least for a time. Yeah, it feels pretty obvious to to me as well, and I think most of the cryptocurrency community that that's not the way you should do it. But and the fallout of
1: it, I think all of us kind of know how it went down as far as the the days of November, uh, 2022. But where are we right now? So as of March 2023, only five billion of over ten or over 11 billion dollars of customer assets have been. Located, and of that only 1.3 billion is easily accessible cryptocurrency or cash. People also believe that these figures might be optimistic because right now you can buy claims to client assets for 13 cents on the dollar. And what that's saying is if Patrick over here, if you had $10,000 in FTX, and remember, he's not part of the U.S. because Ian just informed us that, that he would have probably been safe there. But if you owned $10,000, I could buy those assets from you for $1,300 or claims to those assets because we know that he's not going to get all of those back.
0: So you said $5 billion out of $11 billion were located? What do you mean located?
1: That's the million-dollar question, Patrick. I I actually don't know and from the research that went into this episode I think a lot of people are confused by what even that means
2: yeah I I, that's what I'm hearing all the time as well and I think everybody's just as confused about what exactly located means because I just think FTX had such poor accounting standards and they had all of these wallets all over the blockchain holding consumer funds and now that everything's you know just gone haywire. Everybody's trying to locate them, and they don't know where to look for them. And everything was so decentralized in a in a terrible way for the company. And so no one knows where this stuff is. I remember I like a news story a couple months back where they were like super excited because they just found a wallet with like one point one billion dollars. It was like big news. It's like how do you how do you lose one point one billion dollars? But I guess it happens. And that brings me to another point: is that
1: the accounting that was going on there. I probably wouldn't get an A in a class if I did some of the accounting things they were doing, Uh, other stories that they were using napkins to record transactions, um, but the one that was actually verified in front of Congress that we know isn't like urban myth is that they were using QuickBooks for a lot of their transactions, which QuickBooks is great for small businesses. I don't know the size it's recommended for. I I think in a lot of cases uh, you want to move out of that if your business is over a couple million dollars, but... They were doing that for billions of dollars of transactions. In fact, the guy who is responsible for doing the bankruptcy did it for Enron. Uh, he was responsible for a lot of that, and he said this is
2: way worse than Enron. I saw some screenshots a while back as well of uh, there was just reports that they had pretty much uh, approved hundreds of million dollars of hundreds of millions of dollars of, of uh, expenditures just with like emojis in a group chat, where like someone would ask about an expense, and Sam Brakeman Fried would just send like you know a heart emoji or like a thumbs up emoji, and like that's how they were just like approving fifty million dollar purchases, which is just nuts.
1: What's also nuts is three weeks ago, FTX's liquidators stated that overall, more than $3.2 billion was transferred through payments and loans to a company's founders and key employees. So I wonder if that's part of uh, the emoji, you know, group chat is people saying, oh, I need $100 million and Bankman Freed, you know, giving them a loan, transferring that over. Really a wild story. And I think that it's one that'll continue to evolve in the future. So, yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts, Ian?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean obviously you can hope for better in the future and hopefully it can be a learning lesson for all of the cryptocurrency community but i definitely also just be cautious because i'm almost certain this isn't going to be the last boom and bust in the cryptocurrency market i think you know just like we saw with tulips in uh holland in the 1600s whenever there's um profit to be made people can kind of lose their heads a little bit and so just make sure you're keeping your head don't be too greedy and yeah Not that that's financial Mm -hmm. advice.
1: Yeah, remember this isn't financial advice. Anything that we did say on the show or will say for the last, I don't know, 30 seconds, minute of the show um, does not constitute financial advice. But yeah, I think it is interesting because crypto has seen a rally in many cases, 50, 70%. So I wonder if some of these exchanges that were very close to going under were kind of saved by that and the rally in assets. And like we said, when crypto goes up, if you're over leveraged, you're fine. But if it goes down or even if there's slight dips, which I'm sure there's at least a couple exchanges that are that way, um, it, could, it could spell really bad news uh, for brokerages.
0: Yeah, so thank- we want to thank you for listening to our episode today on FTX and the Dutch Tulip Crisis. Um, we'd love for you to tune in next week. And also we'd remind you that um, if you missed any of the episodes or any previous episodes, um, you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts or on our um, Twitter page. Uh, at Wall Street Pod.
1: Thank you for listening to Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale
0: 101.7 FM.